Gaming and BS, episode 307, coming to you Monday, August 24th, 2020. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back folks glad everybody's here sean how the hell are you man i'm okay brett how are you man how is the uh ailment i have a uh, appointment on the th- on the ninth it was as soon as i could get in go see spine doctor i see see what the deal is so yeah. well let's i hope everything turns out all right yeah it's one of those things where i've talked to other people who've had pinched nerves neck issues and stuff and just as a quick aside to brett's health um Sometimes like, wow, yeah, it's kind of annoying. Every once in a while, boy, it really hurts. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm, I think I might be in one of those, it was super inflamed and annoying, which is where I was in crying, literally crying pain. And now it's like a dull, achy, annoying. Still needs treatment. It's fixing. But at least I was able to go walk in the woods with my son this last weekend and do something. Yeah. My arm is still going numb periodically like it is now, which is annoying as hell. But... Did you get any gaming in this last weekend? I or did. Last get, week, I did some gaming in. Bear with me for just a second. Why? Well, I can tell you what we did on my side. The kids, we did uh, more Middle Earth role playing, a little more Merp action. They um, went to Weathertop, Amunsul, the old uh, abandoned watchtower, and found out there's some orcs there. They're trying to figure out what that's all about. They saw these orcs with the same standard. A seeming iron crown with a gem set in the center of it, some sort of a standard that they have. They think that's coming out of the troll shaws, so they're thinking about packing up and heading further east to see what malevolence is coming out of there. So, my kids don't listen to this, so spoilers. There is a uh, there's an, ev- an evil human wizard who was a acolyte slash follower wannabe of Angmar, the uh, witch king. So now he's taking an opportunity to, uh, he's taking over a small little castle keep thing. And he's uh, trying to raise, you know, raise up a little army, do a little start of the fourth age nefariousness. So that's what the kids are going to get to stop, hopefully. A lot almost died. Again. (laughs) She has really bad luck. She she either either chooses to run away from combat too late or too early or, yeah, she's had some, she's had a bad spot of luck. But critical hit charts have not been too kind to her. Lost an eye this last time. But uh, she's doing well other than that. The Avalon game I had last Tuesday went pretty well. It was kind of a down, a bit of a downtime catch up on what happened because the two vampires were taken care of. And there's some issue where the Temple Poseidon is not too happy with the bargemen. Um, because they, they just have a religious back and forth thing going on. And the characters have been digging more into bargemen lore and mythology, which is where I planted the Penangalon. So now some horrible, nasty fish frog men weirdness has arrived, attacked a bargemen boat, and they're dealing with all that stuff now. So neighborhood's still not safe. That's just how it goes. So that's always fun. How's it by you? What'd you do? I, um, so I played in Hobbs's, uh, Lincium game. Okay. And that was fun. Good, good. Yep. And, um, and then I, so my buddy Jeff's game. Was that, uh, you going to run Mothership for them? Yes. Okay. All right. And on the last episode i had talked about running kingdom for the group mm-hmm. and i pitched it yeah, to do them. that to set set the mothership stage so they would be able to say hey we helped build this world why it is what it is all that good stuff yeah and i brought it up a while ago more in passing like hey i'm thinking about doing this i don't know if i actually even said kingdom i just said hey i think we're gonna we could do this exercise of building the setting kind of very interested. It was, you know, I think it was just kind of out there. Fast forward Friday night, I am kind of going through and making some handouts that aren't in digital format and on Google 
docs and say, you know, sharing some things and taking stuff from Ben Robbins website, putting that in Google, Google docs. So everything is in a single place. And then we mm-hmm. start on Saturday and I said, well, okay, so here's the deal. It's kingdom. And this is why I'm thinking of wanting to do that. Um, I can certainly just kick off the game and call, you know, roll with so it. So if they don't want to do that, if they go, eh, Audible, just go, let's just dive in. You're ready to roll. You don't need that if you don't have to. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, there was some mild interest. Uh, there was one person who's like, yeah, sure. Um, I think Jeff was kind of on the fence. I don't think he could go either way uh, or could go either way. And then it was... Well, it seems it seems really, it's like very regiment, right? It's very like uh, defined and and how you do it. Like, why couldn't we just, you know, maybe just go with making things? It doesn't have. Why does it have to be so formal? Okay, ah, right? kind of spitball stuff as a crew. Write shit down. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. All right. Fine. That's also a good way, not a problem. Session zero, right. Yeah, no, that sounds like a, a fantastic plan, right? Mm. And then um, we get into it and they want to ship. You know, there's a ship. Are they on the ship? Are they part of a big ship? So they're part of a colony ship, okay? Oh, okay. Yeah, big colony right. ship, big, big ship. Deep space, okay? And then it's, hey, we're going to be on a research vessel. Okay, be on a research vessel, what okay? Do we want an actual research vessel? Because there's an actual class in mothership called research vessel, and and when you you could build your own ship. Hey, let's build our own ship. You can go through the shipbuilding rules. Great, no problem. And then it got into well, wait a minute, hold on a second. I I didn't. And then how is this? Is this ship attached to the colony ship or? Okay. Okay, but it doesn't have jump drive. We don't want a jump drive. Okay, so it's local, but it's attached to the colony ship. Okay, no problem. We'll have you guys be sent out from the colony ship, right? Go, go investigate that over there, right? You know. Then it was like research, uh, you know, wait team, got it. On the wait team, but then people were like, "Well, so does this land planet side or is it orbital?" And then does it? Sh- wait a minute, you know. And then Jason was like, "Wait a minute, I thought we would just have a shuttle. We just get in a shuttle and then just go down to the the planet, like you know, an away team does, right?" You're like, "Yep, well, well I don't know, maybe, I guess you." Is that what you guys want to do or you don't want to do? Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, what's the name of your ship? Oh, which, I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe this, maybe that. I don't, I'm not sure. What's the name of the colony ship? Uh, during the discussion, I had mentioned like, hey, you know, there are, I even mentioned before we got into that, that there are folks that don't, they prefer not to contribute like that in that fashion right they want the game yes. master to lay it all out there yeah some people don't and we're, we've got another topic coming up on this some people are not spontaneously creative or they feel uncomfortable right you know some of those folks if you said hey you've got two weeks come up with blah 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 they'd have a beautiful thing for you but some folks don't like to do that makes sense so the th- things kind of like you know there's some questions and so it become like at some point i just kind of go you know what I'm going to get something to drink. You guys figure it out. When I come back, we'll we'll go with what you guys come up with. Nice. So I couldn't help when getting on the mics. I'm like, Brett's going to ask me how the game went. And, and of course. It, it went okay. It started out clunky as hell, kind of session zero within a few hours and, and wanting to get them into something. So another thing that also takes kind of, you know, does things. So Dead Planet. There's a pound of flesh. Some of you might be familiar with both. Pound of flesh, for an example, is a space station that holds like 8 million people. It's big. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah, you've mentioned that to me before, yeah. Well, if you're on a colony ship and you're going out into deep space that hasn't been settled because you're going to go and expand, right? It's like a one-way trip. Yeah, you don't not going to have the space station. Probably not. Or you do. And no one knew it was there. Right. Why is this here? Sure. Woo. Mystery, mystery, mystery. Eight million people, though. How that could that? Well, so say lovey, right? You could. Yeah, exactly. No, there's, I mean, there's reasons, all sorts of ideas. Oh, yes, yes. You know, Dead Planet, kind of a similar situation where there's, you know, derelict ships that are, that are in the sector. 
So you're making it sound like they kind of did this against their will. Did they enjoy it? Um, so they did. And I think once they got onto the Alexis, which is the ship I have them go and investigate, uh, then then I think things started kind of going, okay, this is kind of cool, creepy, and, not, you know, shit starts to hit the fan. Um, and okay. and so it's, I think, going in the right direction. I have Marines that are, are you know, they kind of run away from the danger instead of running towards the danger, which is fine, <laughs> you know. I think... I think there is still this kind of there's a preconceived notion that I'm gathering and this may not this is just me, right? So I'm yeah. looking at it from the chair I'm in that it's a campaign. It's it's going to be long running. I don't want my character to die. And I'm like, "Hey man, I'm not going to run this thing for I told him, I'm a not going to run this thing for 2 years. I mean, this thing's like a couple sessions and then we're kind of done." Right. If we want to come yeah, back, we'll do something else. We'll do something else, or I'll play a different version. Yeah, this is a short stint. So they've got the character protection thing. They're turtling a little bit, like, oh, I want to make sure I want I to get to the, the hell end. out of here, man. Like, okay. I mean, certainly self perseverance is preservation. preservation sorry, and yeah. perseverance comes uh, into yes. play. Persevering towards self preservation. Right. <laughs> yeah, which I'm can also be boring as hell. Fuck sometimes. Hooked on fire, like, guys. Fight the monster. Come on, do something. So, so I just sit back and I go, okay, you guys didn't want to create any of this, but then you didn't know how to come up with a lot of this stuff on your own and come to a consensus where kingdom system is it's part of the system and mechanizes that. Right. Let's go. Oh yeah, you've got to paint by numbers. Now, this is that's a crass that's a crass statement, but you have a very step by step mechanism to start from A, get to Z. Everything in between will be filled out. So got it. Okay. Why would you want to use Kingdom? It seems so so restrictive or so formal. Well, so structured. Well, because because then it gets you don't get to do that. This person gets to do that, and that person gets to do this. Oh, you don't yeah. you don't want it that way. Oh, okay. Then when you're then you want to change your role within this, yeah. this you know scope or whatever helps build build consensus, build the world faster. It's so, and I said, hey, roles. you know, you okay. play characters in Kingdom, but I'm thinking that the characters would really become NPCs and part of the overall world. And you know, I think I could have got it if I I pushed the the thing, but I don't think anybody wanted to sit down and go through the whole exercise. They just wanted to they wanted to play Mothership. Fine, no problem. You know, that's not a big deal. So that was my experience with Mothership and Kingdom. Kingdom got shit canned pretty quick. And now things are in the midst, but I'm having to adapt because, you know, they're out in the middle of nowhere, which is fine. I mean, it's space. So there shouldn't be any difference from you're in the middle of nowhere, deep space and the middle of nowhere. You know, I mean, I was even talking about like, are you in the Alpha Quadrant? Are you in the Delta Quadrant? Are you... Are you in the Milky Way? Are you in the Andromeda system? Can you get to the Andromeda system? Like, what does that look like as far as, yeah. you know, do you want, what do you, you want this like Star Trekky, or do you want this to be like- Aliens? Well, yeah. they're like, I, you know, we could do more, more hard sci-fi. Well, now it's like, well, I'm running scans. What do I come up on the scanner? Are there molecules? Because if there's no molecules, then, you know, so- Jason is, he's definitely smarter than I am. There's no question about it. He's definitely got, he's a scientist for Christ's sake, like real life scientists. So now I'm like, great. Now I have to contend with somebody going, hey, you know. So my, I've run into that myself and whether you need my advice or not, I'm going to give it to you. Um, my, what I usually do when things get weird, then somebody says, well, I happen to know how to weld. So you said this was fixed. The, the guy like look, does it look like a goose shitting on a fence post or uh, the nice beads. <laughs> right. I happen to know what that means. Right. Other people know, don't. Right. right. I know that because my father teaching me a little bit. So one of the things you get to do is say, "Yeah, that's strange. The readings have nothing. Right. But it's still there. Right. You know. And then then he gets to be boggled and like and when and when the character when the player looks at me in frustration, I say, "Yes, it is weird." Your character knows this shouldn't be, but there it is. What is your character going to do with this fact? I'm not going to tell you why. Right. Because you haven't figured it out yet. Oh, yeah, you're right, Brett. Oh, yeah, where I'm from. Right. So 
You've got wonderful opportunities to fuck with the scientists right now. Right, right, well, right, right. And that well, is not... It has, has to be carbon-based, otherwise... Well, really? Really it does, huh? Sure, yeah. watch this, pal. Jason, Andy, Jeff, and the gang, Vicky, Harold, like... And that's not a knock on, on Joe, my buddy Joe. That's not a knock on anybody. It's just is the difference well, that an, I have to... It's an to, approach and it's yes, a style, and yeah. you need to be able to... Adapt. To adapt yeah, and yeah. overcome that stuff. Yep, so that's with, my game. Overcome, yeah, that's my game. I don't know what I'm going to play next, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... Get mothership. I mean, so if they have a good time with that man, they may like Call of Cthulhu campaign wise. Well, we'll we'll see. They, you know, what I'm saying if they have fun yeah. with this type of horror, or whatever, you could grab Delta Green and say, "All right, Delta Green campaign, we're back." So now they're they're like, we're getting the hell out of Dodge. So hey, you know, it could be this: getting out of Dodge, getting your ship, you go back to the colony ship. Sounds good. What do you guys want to play next? Oh, what? what? <laughs> oh. <laughs> what do you want to do? Well, that's when the alien queen detaches from your pod and infests the hey. ship. Yeah. Sorry. Ixnay on the Ixnay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but anyways, there you go. I don't cool. Know. But we talked about my campaign a while. We got lots of show to cover. So yeah, we got plenty of other crap to talk about. Let's go announcement wise. Virtual Game Con. We've talked about that. GameholeCon.com, of course. Uh, here with Save Villages, we talked about this a little more in depth last time, but on August 29th at 4 p.m. Central Time, Hobbs at, on his Twitch channel, um, we've got, let's see, Jason Hobbs, Kevin Madison, uh, Steve Grudzicki, the actual guy who, you know, made Low Fantasy Gaming, and Sean will be playing a Low Fantasy game that Hobbs will be running. So, if nothing else, show up just to watch Steve give Hobbs shit. Right. And tell him he's, and tell him he's doing it wrong in front of a lot of people. I hope he does that just once, just for fun. Nice. But anyway, link in the show notes to that thing. It uh, helps folks out. So it's a good little charity thing. You pumped up, man? Yeah, I got to make a character. I'm like, I probably am one of the guys that hasn't played, made a character yet. So first level, well, baby. It's not going to be that hard to make a character. That's one of the nice things about that system. Right. Bam, bam, bam. It's just you're in, you're done, you move on. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah. I'm going to, I don't know what I want to play. I don't know what they got. I asked, and I don't know if Hobbs posted it or not. I don't. I don't know what he's doing. He's. They want to d- double up on character types or something. I'll, I'll. You know, I'll make one of each and see what happens. What do you guys want me to oh. play? I'll just pick one. Yeah, bring spare. That way, when you die within the first ten minutes, yeah, I'm ready to go again. Yeah, man, I'm gonna be like the suicide player. Suicide. Just go and do everything. Danger. <laughs> just jump on it. Yeah, man. I touch that. No fear. I touch that. I taste that. <laughs> And then Mary There's a door. I dungeon. open it. I open it. I lick the doorknob. Right. Well, what happens then? <laughs> lick the doorknob. What do rock rubs taste like? <laughs> anyway, is that in your seeker? I bet you. I, I put <laughs> it. I that? put it in my ear. Does it do anything? I've I've told you about the throat leech and the he- potion of healing, right? No. I had a game master do that. That's an old uh, first edition critter throat leeches, and it. Put them in potions of healing. You drink them, and then it would swell up and choke you to death. It was great. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> it was a healthy leech. My God. Yeah. Max hit points because it was living in the potion of healing, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, swallowing the worm from tequila. Only more more deadly. Right. Or maybe just as deadly because I'm not a big tequila fan. Neither am I. Anyway, you know, we are a tra- uh, random encounter. Let's just move. All right. Let's, let's get into random crap. encounter. Random encounter. Segment of the show. Reveal comments. Uh, emails. <laughs> From social media, written in, voicemails. Mike Watkins phones one in this week. Brett. Oh, nice. Here we go. Hey, hey, Mike Watkins here again. Thanks for uh, having this podcast. It's really great. Uh, And y'all were talking about people losing interest in your game. Uh, And I've had this happen to me before when I'll be talking to somebody, and I'll be telling them this great story that I think is awesome and interesting, and then I'll just see it sort of fade out of their eyes, will glass over, and they're not really interested. And then I'll have to reel them back in and, you know, oh, well, and then Jeff, like, stabbed him, you know, and bring him back in. So I don't think it's that, the, you know, the party's fault necessarily, but, you know, you could spice it up, you know. I, I had one game of Eberron that I could tell they were totally bored with, so I just had a time traveler guy in a tuxedo come out of the 1920s with a Tommy gun, and he got teleported into the middle of this Eberron campaign in the middle of the city square and just started uh, shooting at people. 
So, you know, just spice it up. And uh, maybe that'll bring him back in. Thanks, guys. What? That's like, that's like a fully automatic 45 slug thrower. Certainly. Things up. That'll... Certainly one way to do things. That is one of the things that Mike, thank you for uh, calling in, man. <clears throat> one of the things I like that he calls out is you can see it in your players sometimes. You can see it in the people at the table. And that's an important skill that players, game masters, and both sides of the screen, basically, that are good to have. Because sometimes we'll get off on this thing, like listening to the show. I'm sure at some point somebody's like, Brett, shut the fuck up. Because you get going and you get talking about something and people are like, yes, I got it. It's the same fucking point 52 times. I get it. I get it. So being able to watch that and see when when that goes down, when uh, Mike says Spice Up reminds me of Robin Laws, was kind of, what's the most interesting thing that could happen right now? Ninjas kick in the door. Orcs attack. Something has to happen. Gangster to from Chicago shows up. Gangster from Chicago shows up and shoots the hell out of Tommy everybody. Tommy 45 Tommy gun. Yeah, why not? Zoot suit hat. I, it's... Hundred round drum and a really bad attitude. It's not going to go well, people. No, it's yeah. Sometimes you got to shake it up, and sometimes depending what your crew is willing to deal with, the orcs attack approach, or you know, most interesting thing, shaking up whatever term you want. Sometimes they'll the crazier the better, and uh, that's good stuff. I like it. That's one of the reasons why I I still like random encounters on one way, shape, or form in my games because it's a great way just to change things up, especially if you're out in the wilderness. Anyway, different topic for another day, but thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Sean, you can read this one. I'll let you. All right. Edwin emails us. Some of my worst gaming experience have not, have been with some homebrew adventures, Brett. Yes. And the rest were with published adventures. No shit. Did I say that? If I said that, it's terrible. I can't believe I said that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. If he, wow. He quoted you. I don't know. He, he quoted me, so I must have. Ah, shit. Sorry, Edwin. Sorry, everybody. Sorry. That was, was a terrible. fun episode. I enjoyed hearing some of Brett's responses to the survey. One comment on the world building piece. I have been frustrated as a player and seen my table get stuck as a GM with the PC-based hooks if they either pull in opposite directions or if they don't lend themselves to pulling the entire group. It generally... What, did I miss something? No, I was oh. going to say, I could totally see that. Sorry, I was just mumbling in the background. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm nodding in agreement. Absolutely. Keep going. It generally works out fine if there's only one, but if two PCs have strong reasons for going in opposite directions, blah. Once... Uh, when I accidentally did this, I had the players make up secondary PCs so that both primary PCs could high off to their corners of the world without leaving the rest of the players twiddling their thumbs. I'm a big fan of PC-based hooks, but cautious about having conflicting personal hooks at the same time, and even more cautious about that hook that can really best be resolved by one PC but requires significant in-game time or travel. Cheers all, Edwin Nagy. Those are very good points. You know, when you're, when you're pulling that stuff, PC-based hooks, exactly what Edwin said, keep that stuff in mind. And sometimes it's like, hey, they want to go in opposite directions. That's fine if you, quote-unquote, do it right or you're able to work it as such. You can't do them both at the same time. That's when it gets tricky, right? Somebody has to go off to this end of the realms and someone else to go off to that end of the realms. Then it just it splits everything up. If it's in a city, maybe not so bad. Like if it's a back in the old days when I was running Vampire, we were basing the game in Chicago. We we're like, well, I want to go to the north side or the south side. It's a city. Taxis, yeah, traffic, but it's just a it's not that big. But this one's like, well, I gotta go to Maine and somebody else has to go to LA. That can kind of wreck the whole thing. So yeah, some of it comes down to timing, you know, as he says, you know, making sure it's happening at the right times. And also, um, Sometimes it's paying attention to those hooks and helping massage that player to say, well, do you really have to be this thing? Could it maybe be this other idea? And kind of helping to craft that other PC hooks so that it works for the setting. And it also doesn't drive you and everybody else completely bananas. But I love the idea. If you can, as a PC, if you can build a hook that helps pull everybody in or something that's kind of a group type of activity, something you think everyone would have a good would have fun being a part of that piece. You get to have some spotlight and everyone gets to come with you. 
and your game master will love you because you did that. <laughs> so that's always good to do. Yep. Thanks, Edwin. Good info, man. All right. What do we got here? Beholders Horde comments on why do PCs wander off? One thing I've found very useful in times the players go in a direction I'm totally not prepared for is a few level-appropriate non-plot-affecting encounters, a micro-dungeon or a small investigation sidetrack for a village they pass on the way to the unexpected journey. This can often lead the group to, end, to the end of the session instead of having to stop early because of an unplanned turn. Some simple little encounters say, uh, like a girl walks to the PCs to get her kitten out of a tree. Once the tree is located, the kitten is a manticore. And now that's aggressive towards the party, believing the group has kidnapped the child. You can't hurt Fluffy! Extra creature, excuse me, extra credit treasure for a creative role playing. Could be a good place to drop a plot clue out of the blue. Yep, it rhymed. <laughs> Thanks, Beholder. No, I like those. We've talked about side plots and different things, and those are sometimes when they do want to wander off, or you, you can let people go for a while, give them something interesting to do, and then hint, plot, idea, poke, 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 and now they're, they're back on track. So sometimes it's nice just to wander off and uh, pull a kitten out of a tree for a little bit. You feel like you earned something, like something actually worked, especially for PCs and we get a crap kicked out of them. For like the last six sessions, it's nice to have a win under the belt by stepping off the track. So good info. Yes, thanks, Beholder's Horde. You read, you, you read Phil. You read Phil's. Good Lord. Phil comments on PCs wandering off. I was thinking about Sean's comment. How if you give the gate? How if you give the players less options, they're less likely to go in unexpected directions. Definitely, as the game master, if you hold out the shiny lure, the players may bite on it, even if it's earlier than you wanted or expected them to. I think you, Brett, talked about how you, providing fewer options to explore to keep the game on track isn't railroading. Again, definitely. You hope the players trust you as the game master to have something cool planned. You don't present multiple options because the, the thing before them makes sense within the context of the campaign and playing it is going to be a killer. I'm running two separate punk apocalyptic games. Rob Schwab wrote it. It uses Shadow of the Demon Lord mechanics. It's visceral. The game moves at a good pace. I'm ripping off lots of Mad Max and Escape from New York references. The players love it. So far, the, both campaigns, I haven't had to produce separate missions. The hooks are sometimes presented differently due to how previous missions have been played out, but the mission objectives are the same. What's important is the players have the agency to accomplish those missions however they please, and they have been drastically different. One group uses trickery, deceit, and more targeted hits against the enemy, while the other tends to go off flamethrowers blazing. <laughs> One group identifies dangerous areas and avoids it. The other explores it. One group falls for the bait and gets ambushed. The other doesn't and through investigation locates the enemy base and ambushes them. It's brilliant. For me, that's been one of the great surprises of the campaign. Three missions in and each has played out so differently. This may eventually lead to the campaign splitting off. A secondary threat is starting to be established in one game due to a player activity, while in another it hasn't come up. That might grow in importance. It depends on what the players continue to do. We'll see. In the meantime, as Game Master, who has never done this before, playing two very different games with the same outcomes has been pretty awesome. That's awesome. That is cool. That sounds like that. really awesome, man. Good for you, Phil. And this this also harkens back to we talked about running the same campaign twice. Now sometimes it can be fun and to watch people do different things. It sounds like what because Phil's doing it at the same time, the campaign's fresh, right? What we talked about was like Sean coming back to it and saying, Hey, I'll run Tomb of Annihilation again in like three months, four months. Um, but the way Phil's doing this, we're basically both going simultaneously to these games. The world, the setting, the stuff that's cooking, all of that's fresh in Phil's head. So when people are doing stuff, it's going to be a little bit easier than trying to reawaken, perhaps I should say, to reawaken the campaign, you know, months or years after it's ended. So cool stuff, man. Thank you for writing in. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to talk about Spielder's Hoarders back on Thieves because it's today's topic. And one of my favorite things is the forgery kit a rogue can have. I love role-playing opportunities of a good forged note or document can get started. 
Even just an innocent note from the local guard captain can really liven up a session. Laugh out loud. <laughs> I can totally see that, man. I also like to provide encounters where more than just one rogue gets to try their hand at roguish things, like pulling con game type of stuff to buy, sell questionable goods. Some players can do a good used car salesman role play. You know, this really, this buggy was only owned by a little old, old elf from Pasadena. <laughs> I like that. Grotonymous on Thieves, a specific adventure to look at is DCC Free RPG Day 2012, the jeweler that dealt in Stardust. That is a weird and fun Thieves adventure built around the burglary of a storefront in Punjar, the original DCC mm -hmm. setting adventure. Uh, Punjar is basically Lankmar and has elements that fit in uh, with Avalon as well. Also, there was the Goodman Games Greatest Thieves in Lankmar Kickstarter this summer. Unfortunately, I didn't have the funds to back it, but I'm hoping I can buy it for Christmas this year. Cool. Which takes us into the main topic. Yeah, main topic, baby. All right. So Gratanamo had written in a while back and said, so I came across his vid on Facebook, and we got a link there, and he talked about how that video got him inspired to run more complex thieving games and heist operations in his DCC games. He says, I'm definitely going to add this to my Lankmar game when I get it off the ground. What, if anything, would you do to spice up thieving, lockpicking, ledger domain, second story work, etc. in your games? I see it to be extremely applicable to Brett's Avalon setting. And it is. So anyway, that was the start of this. So, Sean, I honestly, when I thought about this, one of my first, the first things that I, I came to is because I'm currently playing a, a, a rogue, a thief. I still like the term thief better than rogues. Um, and my buddy's Undermount. And I really think that rogues and thieves make some a really good, not just scouts, lockpickers, that type of thing, but just raw investigators because of the breadth and depth of skill and detail that they have. Um, I think in urban landscape and even a traditional dungeon environment, they make really good kind of that, that Sherlock Holmes investigator type of ploy, right? They don't have to be the wizard or the cleric, but they tend to have, they've got good wisdom because if they've got proficiency in, uh, proficiency skills too in, uh, in perception and stealth, they're they're sneaking in, they're finding out data. They've got a really good ability to do that. And that's something that I have found the men and women that I've gamed with have had really memorable rogues and thieves have really used them as information gatherers sometimes, in addition to the traditional and I'm talking a D and D type of type of setting. But shit, even in even when I played Shadowrun and stuff, the the folks who were playing the rogue was really good at getting data. Hey, we really need to figure this out. I'm sneaky. I'll go figure that out. And they would toddle off and go come back with data. Do you do you run into that with thieves too, Sean, or or is that not the not the case for you? I would say that they tend to be they t tend to lean on that side, not necessarily all in, um, because I think I've run into folks that play them a little bit different from one another. I don't get into I haven't seen a lot of Kender-like thieves. So if you're not familiar with Kender, it's a race in the Dragonlance setting where they're all halflings and they like to steal a bunch of shit all the time. Like yeah, they can't help it. It is chronic a kleptomania. It is a compulsion they cannot stop. Yes. I think to be a, a player of a Kender that doesn't get you like shanked in the alleyway after the game, you've got to be a good player. <laughs> My experience with people playing Kender has been abysmal. But anyway. So well, the I reason... Mean, yeah, I, sorry. Ahead. No, I was going to say, the reason I brought up the investigative component is because I have I have talked to people who shy away from rogues or thieves because, well, I don't want to be a bard and I don't want to be a thief or I don't want to be, you know, something along those lines. And somebody will say, hey, or a Star Wars game or something... Oh, well, this is kind of like a rogue. You know, like from the, uh, I don't want to be that guy picking pockets and stuff like that. No, there's more. There's another angle. I guess just want to kind of start off with that. So one of the ways for me making thieving interesting is helping to encourage slash coach the players of those things saying, look, you have this huge bevy of skills, man. You could be off figuring out this, 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 and this. Sometimes when the players are stuck, I look at the thief player, the rogue, and say, hey, you realize Julie could head off and do this thing. Because she's got the skills for that. Oh, shit, yeah. To behold this horde piece, you you know forgeries. You have a forging kit. You could tell if this book was a forgery, possibly. You should be able to tell 
if somebody forged their name. You have the skill. Being able to kind of reverse engineer some of those thieving skills to help you do investigative things. So, make sense? It does, and it should be noted that in 5th edition, at least, there are archetypes mm-hmm. under the thief class that that round things out a little bit differently than just being a cut purse all the yeah, time. Yeah, arcane, uh, arcane Trickster is my current favorite. That's what my character is right now. I like that because oh. I like having a little extra magical twist on my dude. You pulling <laughs> gold coins out of people's ears? Yeah, casting nasty ice dagger spells and shadow blades and shit. <laughs> Detecting magic, identifying stuff because I want gear. Um, but the other kind of with that is that using these skills for more than just, right? And you can, depending what your character is, a lot of this t- stuff we tend to reference kind of in the D&D language, but it translates across pretty well to other things. If you have a character in a Shadowrun game and you're a face man or you're somebody who's really good at disguise and you're slipping in and so on or spy, you should then, even if the rules don't you know, call it out per se, they usually do somewhere, but you can use that cool spy disguise to determine, is that other person in disguise? When you're walking down the street, you see a bunch of beggars and you have a feeling one of those beggars might be that assassin who's going to jump you know, the senator as he comes out. You know this skill. You've got this. You might be able to, you know, crank as a game master, I want my player to pull that out and say, hey, I know disguise. I'm going to do a pass through the, the, this area here to see if any of these beggars or hangers on or whatever it is. Are they assassins in disguise? Is something out of place, right? It's like a perception check, but I want an edge because I'm skilled in disguise. I'm not just using raw perception. I'm using my really kick-ass skill. And for me, that's an opportunity to get advantage or bonuses, to that player because they're trying to play to their strengths. If you know poisons, um, I wrote a little example here. Is I had a, one of the guys in the, the Avalon game, they were um, trying to figure out if something was toxic or not. And I said, well, you are a poisoner. You know you, you, you know these, the alchemical stuff. So Alpha makes the die roll. He goes, hey, I know the smell of black lotus. There's no way. Da, 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 da. He just kind of went with it ad hoc, but that kicked in my head. I'm like, you know, that's another descriptor that I can use, you know, the, the, he knows these skills. He should be able to sense and detect things, hidden motives, forgeries, as I said, um, finding out how things were done. A buddy of mine was really good at doing this with Shadowrun, where he would talk to the game master and want to be able to use his, um, his really kick-ass hacking skills to kind of figure out how the other guy did it, you know, my example I wrote in the notes, you know, you know, hey, it looks like they buy, bypass a security system using a dummy, you know, card. They use a road, rogue uplink to scramble comms. They only had about 10 minutes, blah, blah, blah. It's just one way to do that Sherlock Holmes cool thing of piecing together how the heist happened and then sorting it out. And the other thing that's fun to do then is if you have, depending on how detailed you want your NPCs, that NPC rogue thief who works for the City Watch or works for the Empire, that's how they're tracking you. Because <laughs> he or she knows exactly how it is you do your job. So anyway, just I just want to throw out some what I thought were more concrete examples of using your skills as more than just pick locks, move silently type of thing. We think about thieves and rogues. Do you have anything, Sean, that comes to your mind for that type of example or idea? No, I think the, um, I think the spy, I think there was a spy in 3.0. Um, Pretty sure. Or something. It was. It's not in Xanathar's guide or anything or Five E. But I thought there was a. They have Scout. Scout mm-hmm. is a out of Xanathar's guide, I believe, in Five E. There's got to be a spy somewhere. Eberron somewhere has one, maybe. Maybe, maybe. But the so those skills can play a role in being, you know, a thief or a or a spy or a scout, which is nice. So they, yeah, I don't. You're right. They don't have to be the. I'm going to pick this guy's pockets all the time. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I find, I don't, I mean, I haven't played a lot of AD&D recently, mm-hmm. and I did play a thief in Hobbs's game of Lincium, uh for BX, and it was fine. It, I mean, I had the climb skills that I could use to get out of holes or, or mm-hmm. climb up that I didn't risk falling on my ass like some of the others, but... I didn't feel as though I would have to be in a village or an urban setting to 
be recognized as a viable like a uh, participant in the group, right? I didn't. Oh yeah, I didn't, yeah, yeah. It's I didn't like feel I'm... left out because oh, you know, you could still use those traits and abilities. You know, the feeling of the cavalier five levels down in the cramped dungeon, going, "I wish I had my horse <laughs> and my lance. I want yeah, a lance exactly. and my horse because I could do like a billion twenty damage. twenty d twelve worth of damage." And now I'm in this dungeon and I can't, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, come on now. You... One of the other things for me when it end. When, when I thought about this, about how to make TV more interesting, I find we talked about this ages back. We had a, our, an episode on bards. Bards were for role playing. It's a good opportunity, and so on. And I honestly think one of the one of the things I do with rogues when I'm player, I try to do this, and then as the game master, I try to elicit it from my players is to give the whoever's playing the rogue, the thief, the scout, the you know the hacker, the face man, the spy having them give me descriptions of what it is they're trying to do. And one way to elicit that is by describing why something's hard. So back in the AD&D days, um, this was common for my groups where we would come back and someone would say, well, I want to try to pick his pocket. And Eric Schaefer, our game master, would be like, well, um, he's wide open. He's got a guard dog with him. And uh, they there's no like city. He's, he's got space around him, right? So if you walk up to him, he's going to see you coming up to pick his pocket. And we'd be like, fuck. So and this is back in the percentile days. But so we'd be like, you're going to be a huge penalty. Like, ah, oh, Christ. We really want to do this because he's got the thing we want. So how do we get past that? So he set the stage of how do we get past this? So then we're like, okay, we're going to do a bump and run. I want to pull the fighter in. The fighter, go buy a chicken leg or a turkey leg. One of those big, you know, meaty things that like a Renfair leg. Yeah, go get a Renfair thing. Walk <laughs> up there, pet the dog, feed the dog, kind of distract him. I'm going to come up, bang into you. And we would set up, try to set up these kind of, because it was a key piece of something we had to get off this dude, try to set up a bump and run of some kind. I mean, we're not, we're not pickpockets, we're not fucking do this. But by describing how we wanted to get over stuff, the penalty went up, you know, got less and less and less and less, got closer to our real percentage chance. In a game like 5e, you get to add advantage, you get to add inspiration points to people. In other systems, you might, in, you know, in the Star Wars game, Sean, that you ran, I could see you saying, hey, use a purple die instead of that one or changing changing things out or different outcomes type of thing. But I think that, to me, setting the stage of what's to happen instead of I just pick pockets, I search the room, which we've talked about ad nauseum in the past. Describe why what the thief is trying to do is difficult. This lock is rusty. It's old. The door is wedged. You can actually see another lockpick broken off in this ancient dwarven mechanism. This is going to be a son of a gun. You look at a pretty high DC to get past it. And he goes, well, let's see. I do have that oil. I've got a mithril dagger. I think I can. When they start coming up with ideas to get past all the different descriptive issues you've given them. You didn't just say, hey, it's a DC 25. Oh, God, I hope I roll high. That's boring as shit, man. To make it interesting, describe why the DC so damn high that may, that's where that's kind of where I'm going at does that ring for you Sean does that make sense yeah and it's even just touching on that a little bit about pickpockets I mean if you got a game master that's somewhat flexible I mean it doesn't necessarily have to literally mean pickpockets right it's like well that's where the sleight of hand right yeah sleight of the, hand right yeah I want to use I want to use sleight of hand skill to Flip a coin and want to be distracting, a little ledger domain, little hand, you know, little illusion magic type of thing on the side, or flipping coins, chucking daggers, something, juggling, cause a distraction, so on. Yeah, and I think most game masters will will flex on that. Like, hey, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get this without anybody noticing me, mm-hmm. right? Without having to hide in shadows. You know, or move silently. I'm tr- so it's a sleight of hand thing or pickpockets. Yeah. And if you take the the spy idea, right? So I remember back to again our Star Wars game. We're at a, a bidding war, trying to get this gem thing. Yeah, you guys were at an auction. We're at an auction, and we had to kind of figure out what was going on in the crowd. That's right. I'm remembering we have to go post somebody up over there, go figure that out, trying to utilize the room because you didn't tell us how hard it was going to be. You just told us how difficult it looked. We weren't told, oh, you're going to be at a negative six or it's all blue dice or green dice or whatever because it was all the colored dice. You didn't tell us that here's the number to reach. You described the scene 
and told us this is going to be a son of a bitch. And we had to figure out how it was we wanted to get around it, which again, I think that helps to make generally any skill check, but especially thieving that like, well, I'm just going to go up and pick his pocket because I got an 85% chance. You can say, well, here's a percentage, you know, or, hey, I've got, you know, I got a plus 10 on that. What's the DC? If you give a description or you say, well, you're actually going to be a disadvantage on that using that mechanic, or the penalty is such that it becomes astronomical DC or your 2% chance now instead of 85 because of these crazy ass extenuating circumstances, that's the shit that heist movies are made of, right? Where is it? It's locked in a vault in a basement beneath a thing beyond the doors, past the sudden other doors with guards. That's a whole heist movie. Watch, watch an Ocean's, Ocean's Love. <laughs> See how they crack that. You don't have to go that, that full way in, but that's the type of um, describing what's going on and then have the players tell you how they're going to overcome those things, descriptive-wise, and then assign the difficulty class. And then tell them to make their die roll based on all the bonuses and negatives. I just I, I think that to me has been the biggest key for me to help make thieving interesting and not just run the mill. You can every once in a while just hand wave it. Like, okay, yeah, you just want to bust through the this crowded stall. I need to pick up some copper coins. Okay, give me a give me a pickpockets check. Slide a hand. There you got uh, eighteen copper pieces and a silver. Neat. That's all I needed to go buy breakfast. Sometimes that's fun too. But I think the descriptions piece helps me do it that way. Um, one of the thing, so for me, Sean, that's that's what I'm thinking about. What do you when you have guys that are running rogues or thieves in uh, in Star Wars games or anything like that? You've played. Is there any? Do you use any of that stuff, or how do you? How are people approaching it? Is it different to you in like a sci-fi setting versus a fantasy setting? By much or same type of approach. You know, I think it's all nuance, but, you know, most, if I'm running Star Wars and there's a, a character that wants to, I mean, there, I don't think there's a, I cannot put my finger on a class type that is thief other than what would be a typical scoundrel type, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And then in Star Wars, they've got those um, archetypes that you can choose from. So if you're, I, God, I haven't played in a while, so some of them escape my mind. But, you know, if you're going to play a scoundrel, then you're playing something, you know, underneath that, which would be, shoot, I don't know if it's, it's not a forgery artist or anything like that, but it's a... Well, Hansel's a smuggler, right? R smuggler. Scoundrel. Scoundrel, smuggler, right, right. Right. Yes. Yes. Yep. And even yeah. then, Han Solo, he's a smuggler. How does that become more interesting? Well, he's got places to stash stuff. That's where the people hide out. Spoilers. So, right? yeah. So he is essentially a thief of some kind where, you know, I guess you could say it's Broad smuggling is thieving. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to tell me I'm what we're right on. But the same type of principle, right, is you're using your stuff for more than its intended purpose. Right. From earlier, right? The ship has, the Millennium Falcon has places in it to stash stolen goods. Or illicitly gained goods or stuff yes. he's fencing or whatever. It's also a good place to put people, apparently. Well, and if you're <laughs> playing a Star Wars game and you're you're doing it during the rebellion area era, then you're you're probably wanting to try to steal. You got to steal stuff from the Empire. You got to yep. steal plans. You got to steal arms and armor and equipment that the rebellion doesn't have. They don't have the means to get it, or as easily, they don't have. You know, manufacturing facilities that are cranking it out and putting it in the general store where you can go and buy it. So you got to be creative and with, with the the character that you have that enables. I mean, let's put it this way: whenever you're playing a class type system, which a majority of RPGs are, not all, but a majority of them are, the reason there are classes is because you got certain specialties to to kind of lean on. Doesn't mean mm -hmm. somebody else can't do the same thing. But you're just better at it. You're just more effective at it. You've you've gone into that, and you know the subtle nuances that you might run into. Doesn't mean you're going to be more successful, but you have some inkling of, hey, man, I you know I was a recruiter for eleven years. I kind of know how to do that. Yeah. Doesn't mean I'm good, maybe, or you know. But um, I, know, I know how that functions, right? Yeah. Right, but I know like the overall process and I know who to contact and what to look for and things of that nature. So, 
you know, whenever you're whatever game you're playing and it's a thief based kind of class, thief, scoundrel, rogue, whatever that mm-hmm. looks like, you know, pickpockets and some of the AD&D here, you know, pickpockets, moose alley, you know, hide and shadows, blah, 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 read languages, uh, use magic item. Those you kind of have to get little nuanced with making it your own, I think. One of, the, one of the things I think you get to do as Game Master to help what niche protection can be a big thing, right? Some people get really irked when the wizard or the barbarian rolls better on a thieving skill than the thief does, right? Sleight of hand for picking pockets or whatever. Um, which is one of the nice things, if you will, of some of the earlier editions of D&D specifically where certain skills were only in their purview, right? So you can do that. You could say, hey, look, this particular task at hand, this lock, I don't give a shit. If you've got a lockpick fighter guy, you're not a rogue. You're not picking this lock. Only a rogue could even attempt this. I've seen that done. I've talked to people who like to do that. Um, The other one is that if that goes too far, sometimes it's like, hey, only... The dedicated spy, the dedicated rogue of some kind gets the bonus for doing it because it's their profession, right? I can change oil in a car. I can change tires. I can do certain, I can do brake jobs. I can do certain things. I am not going to do it as well or as quickly as an honest to God mechanic, right? Somebody with all the right tools and all the right skill and know-how. If you've ever tried to build something with wood and then compare that to an actual woodworker, professional or serious hobbyist, you got a pretty good idea what I'm talking about, right? Hey, look, I built a bookshelf. This other person built a bookshelf with, oh my God, you know, it's amazing. Doing the basics versus doing a solid professional job. And there are certain tasks that it's just in everyday life that you need to go to a professional, right? I mean, my general practitioner looks at my neck and goes, wow, that's fucked up. Off to a specialist with you <laughs> because I need somebody who does this for a living to go look at your spine. Same same type of principle here, I think. And again, that just helps. Some people could give a crap about uh, niche protection and they really don't care. They want everyone to be able to do everything equally well or whatnot. Uh, You know, good on them. But if you want to, I think you have um, sometimes the system uh, you're you're running might, might help you do niche protection. And if not, again, give that spy, that scoundrel, that, that smuggler, you're the smuggler, Sean, you've got a chance excuse me, to know if this ship um, could do what you want it to do. We're trying to buy a new ship. Well, you're the pilot and you're the smuggler. You give me the role to to give me your your once over. I just look at it saying, hey, it can fly. It, can, it has cargo space. You as the smuggler tell me, well, yeah, it also has another 5,000 cubic feet of other cargo space you're not seeing. I know how the hull is built, but this is good. And that gives that person a chance to shine and seem really, really cool, you know, they see somebody walking through the crowd. Fighters go, oh, I bet it's a thief. Have that rogue player make a little perception check. He's the only one who gets to. She's the only person who can try. They roll, and they say, yeah. I can tell that, that that dude's a professional. You can tell by the way he moves or whatever the case is. So I think that's I think that's another way to make thieves and thieving skills and such a little more interesting. I've actually done similar things with fighters, wizards, and others when it comes down to only your class or only your particular skill set, especially in class-based systems, can check for something or get a bonus because it's a professional interest to you. Other people have passing knowledge, but you have such depth in it that you're going to know more details than somebody else would. So do you get a lot of niche protection issues in a game you run? Do people care? I'm just curious. Or somebody's like, oh, my, my wizard's better at picking locks than your fucking thief. You ever get that? <laughs> you'll ever get, you'll get, you might get a comment about it, or okay. you'll get somebody that does. I think that's kind of common. You get you get the person. It really irks some folks. I'm does. not saying it's right or wrong either way, but if it really irks you, or that's a problem at your table, that was what I was trying to solve. Right. And I, there are people that will, oh, the thief tries it, oh, and the thief fails, but the magic user attempts it and succeeds. Neener, that's a skill neener. Bu- skill right. bug piling, right? I'll try yeah. it. I'll try it. I'll try it. Yeah. And you get the neener, neener, which yeah, is yeah. fine. I mean, I think that's only natural, right? Like, it's kind of like. Especially if you're playing here. with guys like Jeff in my group. You know, we've known these yeah. guys for 20, 30 plus years. It's funny. Here, let me let me shit. do this. Oh, yeah. Okay. You succeed. What? <laughs> Son you know? of a damn yeah. it. 
Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's even a, a, a comedic thing where it's like we have the thief that can never succeed on what they do, like on a thieving role of some kind. And then everybody else does. And it's like, great, we got a thief that's completely useless. That's awesome. So yeah. then you, you could probably get a nickname, right? As long as it's does it as long as the player's into it and stuff, right? It's this is right. this goes into be a decent sport and don't these better be good friends. You better really know each other before. This is a pickup game online. I just decided to pick on the Sean guy and call him a dickwad right. because he doesn't right. know what a fucking thief. What are you He's at a suck? convention and being yeah, a it's a little yeah. over the top, right? But anyway, I think um, for me, those are the those are the main pieces about being a thief or a rogue in some way. If you can get the players to do descriptions, you can get them to talk about how they want to use their skills. All that stuff's great, but we as game masters need to encourage that stuff to come out you know ask the players help coach them give them ideas like yes this is totally cool for you to use your skills in this interesting way yes it's really cool for you to do this type of description to counteract my descriptions to jack up your bonuses and and so forth but we've got to give them opportunity to do that stuff right it's like the fighter who takes cleave whirlwind attack mighty cleave super whirlwind attack whirling dervish death ball and uh you know every other spinning death feat they can find we're whirling dervish death, death ball. ball. Yeah, Sweet. It's, 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 it's in a Pathfinder rulebook somewhere. You can write some of this shit down, man. <laughs> but if they take all that, they're telling you, I want to kill stuff in huge swaths. I want, you better give them a room full of goblins or at least undead skeletons. Something you can just chew through to, to have fun because that's what they took all that for is for fun. Right. So somebody made this kick ass rogue, you know, sneaky person. And you don't ever give them a chance to be a rogue sneaky person. Yeah. You should have told them to make a fighter at the beginning because it's all. I didn't realize we were playing Space Marine the game. <laughs> there is no sneaking. It's just shooting Tyranids all day. Well, if you had told me that, I wouldn't bother to make a thief. Anyway. That makes sense, Sean? It does. Do you have any more pointers on this one? No, I don't think so. I had a game master ages back when we were playing, I think, Front Realms or something. Maybe Eric did this, but we're in a tavern. We hear these people talking and other people just jabbering away. And he looks over and he says, hey, Mike, you're a, th you're a thief, right? You can understand him. Well, speaking of thieves can't. Hmm. The rest of us didn't get it. It was the first time that I had recalled ever having that be a thing. Oh, oh yeah, that's like a code language that, that thieves use. Oh, that's right. It turned out they were plotting something, blah, blah, blah. And we got wind of it and were able to capitalize on it and so on and so forth. So again, these these characters, these classes have all sorts of cool stuff. Sometimes as game masters, if we remember it and the players don't, it's a good way to kind of pull it out of them. Yeah. Throw those things out. Doesn't have to be all the time. Just every once in a while. We good, man? We're good, man. Let's get oh. into die roll. Die roll it up. Die roll. 2d4 miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery you want to bring to you. We've got four this week. First one on the list. How to RPG, a little YouTube project Sean works on on occasion. I did a, um, I ran a Stars Without Number game, and in that I took OBS, which is a free piece of software, and did a lower third. I put it in a browser die roll, um, online die roller. I put in the initiative and text. Damn, and dude. Posted pictures on it on Twitter, and people were like, hey, how do you do that? So I did a tutorial so that you can take OBS, show you how to set it up, and then uh, put it in Zoom so that you could eat. And frankly, you could do this for even, like, professional meetings. Like, you could put in your name down below so everybody sees it nice and big, and you can put your and company a die roller logo. so you can see who gets to talk first. And the die roller. <laughs> yeah. So if you're interested in that, check it out. It's uh, it's probably about a 20 minute. And if you know OBS, it's it's literally like probably a five minute video. And I've got a timestamp so you can just forward past all the OBS setup. Oh, cool, man. Uh, good work. Good work front. Good work on your part. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. That's cool. Yep. And then uh second one, new book announced by Watsi. So if you're uh living underneath a rock, and if you are, let us know because because we're we're interested in doing that, we're, we'd like to subscribe. We'd to your like newsletter. to live in a, under a rock. Actually, <laughs> it would be it would be nice sometimes. Tasha's Cauldron of Everything arriving November seventeenth, twenty twenty, and they are taking pre orders now. And I think it may even be listed on Amazon. I know there was a placeholder, which I'm sure has been flipped since. But uh, that's did, a. Did you see the alternate cover on this one? I did. 
It has a different alternate cover look than they've done in the past. And this alternate yes. cover is nice. I really like it. I like the other ones fine, but this one really jumps out to me. And uh, I like I like the fact Tasha's Hades Laughter. I always say, oh, Tasha's Cauldron, Tasha's Hades Laughter. I know there's other stuff out there. So this is cool. I like it. Lots of different player options they're bringing up pretty much. Hey, man, I imagine this to be Game Master stuff, but it's, I think, a player player book more than anything. Yeah, it, 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 some people are like, oh, more Splatfoot. You don't have to buy it. It's not just, you don't have to. But just need to see need to see good games getting support and stuff. And for those that had Spelljammer on their bingo card, we're sorry. But yeah. hold on to the bingo card. You never know. It might come up later down the road. They didn't get to say I told you so. I just called it two months early or a year <laughs> earlier or whatever right. it is. <laughs> anyway. Number three, Pip World's community content program is now live on Drive Through RPG. So the Pip system by Third Eye Games and Aloy Friend of the show, La Santa. Aloy La Santa. Yep. Yes, and his group of gamers, and I think uh, Todd Crapper is part of the crew. Now you can create your own stuff for that system, which is an interesting one. If you haven't checked it out, by all means, do that. We've, we'll have a link in the die roll to the drive-through for the community piece of that. But if you're a pit nice. system person, yeah, check that out. Uh, Hellboy, the role-playing game, Kickstarter. What? Did you get in on that, Brett? Hellboy, man? I did I did not. I love my. I love Hellboy, but I don't know. I just kind of looked at it and went, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think the goal is what, like something like 30 grand. It's at like, it's I don't funded. know, 300. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I gotta I gotta admit right now, last time we talked about the Twilight two thousand one, I was backing it and I just backed out. Cause I I looked at it, looked at it, looked at it and went, I don't think I'm gonna get to play this. It it's interesting for Brett's sake. So what I think I might do is revisit that one like the PDF only level, just so I can get that copy of it. I was all like or maybe like, you know what, maybe I'll wait I'll pick up the PDF later because it will be out and available type of thing. Because it's funded and all that good stuff. So this is another one. I'm like, ah, I just, I don't. And I also had to buy arrows. Because archery season's coming. And hopefully my shoulder will be fixed and I can Decisions, shoot my bow. decisions, man. And arrows aren't cheap. So I'm no. like, all right, fine. I'll go. Ki- I'll kill stuff instead of killing pretend stuff. So there we go. That's what I did. Uh, it's 4-5-E. And I, I mean, I saw the layout. I was pretty impressed. And I'm not a Hellboy guy. So... Uh, it does go until September 7th, 2020. I do not know the delivery date, but when this drops, you probably have a few days to to get it on it if you want. And that is it for Die Roll this week. And that's it for Die Roll ending this week, we August go. 24th, 2020. Yeah, next week we're going to talk about lore and descriptions on demand, which we've been alluding to. Again, we alluded to earlier this show, but that type of topic. So that is next week's chatter. Lore. Mm-hmm. And descriptions on demand. District descriptions on demand. Yeah. Coming up on the fly, you mean? Yeah. Well, oh, boy. I, I've had these notes up for weeks, man. You could read them. Oh, I... <laughs> yes, I could. <laughs> and I, I'm I, not and used I, to it, man. No, I'm not you're used not. To it. I, I can't. I can't it's blame you. It's outside my I schedule. Have... I have trained you not to be ever <laughs> seeing anything until the last second. So I, I appreciate the fact that this is my fault. This is six years. This of has training. been up for like two months, Sean. What? This has been six years of training, Brett. <laughs> that's not how this fucking works around here. Yes, yes, I know. All right. Well, that's it for this week, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for joining in Discord. Thanks, everybody, for joining on Twitch. Next week, we will be here Monday at 8 p.m. Central Time um, to, to view us talking about lore and descriptions. And this Thursday, Session 2 for Delta Green, uh, music from a darkened room. Stuff's going to start getting interesting. Oh, and the 29th is your, um, 20th is this Saturday. Yes. Is the last reminder on that is the Hero Save Villages, that Sean's thing in that. We've got links in show notes to goodness there. So check that out. So that's it. So thank you, everybody. I'm Sean. I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you by the following producers. The Duke in Purple, Eric Salzweedle, Brett Pazinski, Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Ed Nice, Coast GM, Jay Plata, George Sedgwick, Stefan Dragonspawn, Adam Grote, John, Jared Rasher, Dollar Adventure Frameworks, Jason Weeb, 
Ray Otis, Eric Frankhouse, Daniel Garrett, Jim Ingram, Curtis Hinson, Rory Weston, Mike Hess Jr., Ron Blessing, Mark Soam, Hus Carl, Hus Carl, Eric Tavola, Henry Newcomb, Melissa Bashinsky, Harrigan, David F. Baylog, Andy Hall, Rich Wishon, Brian, Brian Rumble, Jeff Goad, Niall Diamond, Corey Gonzalez, John Keyword, Jeff Seifert, Andy Olson, Michael Dinos, Old School DM, Eric Avia, Perry Besor, Laramie Wall, Robert Nemeth, Angus, Josh Wallace, Howard Bishop, Craig, Roger Braslick, Cy, Chad Gleyman, Thomas Hook, Mark Richmond, Ron Bishop, Larry Hout, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Jim Fitzpatrick, Craig Huber, C.W. Mellencamp, Dan LaValle, Pure Mongrel, Wayne Humphrey, Marco Froelich, Mark Tasaka, Jason Hobbs, Chris Steele, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, and Joe Swick. Hey, if you've liked what you've heard of this episode, go tell a friend. Bring it up to your game group. Let them know that we exist and that they can pull it up in their favorite podcatcher. Thanks, BSers. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.